Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization with a mission to mobilize the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Last year, their Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, or VITA program, helped 1,400 households file their taxes for free. This year, the expanded child tax credit is available to Chautauqua County households with children, even if they don't normally file taxes or have a recent income. Nearly every parent or caregiver of a child with a Social Security number can receive up to $3,600 per child, and it's not too late. Learn more at getctc.org chq. It only takes about 15 minutes online to claim the child tax credit and learn about eligibility. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of Community Radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or unitedwaync.org. Good evening uh, and welcome. I just want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for attending this evening's public forum. It's a great crowd tonight, so I'm happy that we have a good turnout. One of my goals as City Council President was to engage the Council in community forums and discussions outside of the normal work and voting sessions where there's always a great deal of other agenda items to get through. A forum would give the public an opportunity to gather information, ask questions on specific topics and issues facing the city. Because of the COVID restrictions and guidelines for the better part of the last two years, this was not possible. So it's good to be here and be able to do this. I'm pleased that we're finally able to have the opportunity to get together and have this type of public forum. Two of the biggest concerns and challenges we face are the condition of our housing stock and the many neighborhood issues we face, as well as the alarming recent uptick in gun violence, drugs, and other public safety issues that's facing our community. These are two of the most concerning topics, questions, and complaints that we as council representatives hear on a regular basis from our constituents. Tonight I've asked our Director of Development, Crystal Surtick, to give a brief presentation on neighborhood and housing issues and current strategies and programs that are being implemented to address these challenges. We will also hear from our police chief, Tim Jackson, on a number of public safety issues facing our city, what is being done and or proposed to combat these many problems. After their pre brief presentations, we will then open the forum up to specific questions. If you have a question, uh, you can either stand up and, and shout it out. You can come up here to the mic. Uh, we can have someone come around it. I know this doesn't reach that far uh, to try to ask questions, uh, specific questions to the chief, to the mayor, to uh, uh, the director of development. Also in the back room, in the back of the room, if you didn't get a chance to sign in, it'd be nice to have information, uh, your address, maybe an email address um, of where you're at just so we know who is here and how many people were here. There's a sign-in sheet on the back. Uh, it's on the way out if you didn't do that. At this time, I just wanted to make some brief introductions uh, before I turn it over to the mayor to say a few words. Um, if the current council people, if you would just stand up a minute, I wanted to recognize we have Councilman Reynolds up here, Councilwoman Karuba, we have Councilman Diversa, Councilwoman Eklund, Councilman Sheldon, and Councilman Faulkner in the back. So most of the council is here this evening. Okay, we also have, I believe, County Legislator Wilfong, Dave Wilfong is here, Dave, somewhere there he is, he's the one. And we also have our Sheriff Jim Quattrone is here tonight as well. So 
thank you for coming and, and supporting uh, this event. So at this time, I'd like to turn it over to Mayor Sundquist just to make a few remarks before our department presentations. Thank you, President Dulce. Uh, we appreciate all of you being here tonight to, to listen, to understand, and really to help us as a city better understand what's going on in your neighborhoods, on your streets. We have a good understanding for the most part, but the reality is you all live where the action's happening. You all know what's going on uh, in the areas that you're at, and we want to rely on your feedback uh, tonight after we hear from some of the work that our Department of Development and the Code Enforcement, as well as our Police Department has been doing to engage the community, to help, and to support. Uh, the one thing I do want to, to talk about tonight, just briefly, is to help you all understand the amount of resources that are available. And I'm sure that both the Chief and Crystal may, may talk briefly about this, is that we recognize that there is a lot going on in the city but we, like most organizations, do have limited resources. And how we move those resources around is based on the feedback we get from you. So tonight, as you provide us some information, some thoughts, some comments, we take that back and we take it to heart. And we say, okay, well, if we're seeing hot spots in certain areas or we're hearing more about these things, that's where we start to move our resources, move our providers, move what we have in those areas to better control what goes on in your neighborhoods. So again, on behalf of the mayor's office, I wanna just thank you all here. Um, thank you to the council members as well as to uh, my staff that are here tonight talking about uh, the work that we're doing. And if you need anything at all, please don't hesitate uh, to call my office. Many of you have probably talked to my staff, both Zach and Michaela in the back, if you guys could raise your hand. Uh, those are the members of my staff at the mayor's office that respond to your calls, answer you, help you get the, the, the whatever you need, and uh, they're truly invaluable. And so thank you all for being here tonight. I'm excited to learn, to listen, uh, and to hear your feedback. Uh, it is, uh, it's my pleasure to briefly uh, introduce uh, Stephen Cobb, who is the Executive Director of the Mental Health Association. He's got some information for you, and I think he's gonna do a 30-second commercial of sorts. Uh, so I want to just introduce uh, Stephen Cobb from Mental Health Hey everyone, um, I'm Stephen Cobb, I'm the Executive Director of the MHA. Uh, we're located at 31 Water Street, um, which is in the Gateway Center. We share a space with Community Helping Hands and St. Susan's. And we provide uh, support for people who are experiencing issues with, uh, men with mental health issues and folks who uh, have substance use issues. We also provide support for family members who are supporting people who are, might be still using or experiencing mental health issues or are in recovery. We're open every morning uh, from 9.30 or, or Monday through Friday. We're open at 9.30. We're open until 7 at night. You can come down and visit us. We're, we're a very friendly place to access mental health and substance use services because we're open and people can just walk in without an appointment and be connected with one of our peer specialists who can begin the process of helping folks who need help. We can navigate to the other resources that are in the community. Um, we provide Narcan training. Um, Narcan uh, is a, a drug that will reverse 
an opioid overdose, reversing somebody who's experiencing an overdose can be the first step in recovery or a reconnection to recovery. So we believe this is a very good tool to help our community. We actually have Narcan over there on the table. If any of you would like to be trained on how to use Narcan, I will teach you how. It's a very easy process. We like to now think of Narcan as first aid. So just like you have Band-Aids in your first aid kit, and you might have Neosporin in your first aid kit, you should also have Narcan in your first aid kit. Uh, you might think you don't know or would ever experience someone in overdose, but the chances are pretty high that you could. So we, I'm very happy to train you on this. We have literature over there about our programs, and I'm also happy to answer any questions relating to mental health or substance use or what type of services we have in the community. We have uh, uh, numerous mental health and substance use services in our community. Sometimes we don't know how to access them. So even if you need help with that, you could give us a call or come down and ask us, hey, how do I help someone who needs to get into rehab? And we can help you with that. So it's good to be here. We wanna be of service. So please come over and talk to me. And Sean Jones, who's one of our uh, peer specialists, is also over there too. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Stephen. We really appreciate all the work that MHA does in the community. I know we're still working on the PowerPoint and getting that up. Uh, thank you to our IT department over here from the church. Thank you, Kai. Uh, but I, I do want to, we'll uh, soon introduce uh, Crystal Surtick, who is our development director. Uh, before we do that, I've been asked by IT to stretch this out for an extra minute while she loads the PowerPoint. Uh, so I got the opportunity yesterday uh, to meet with uh, the over 60 pastors from churches uh, across the city. And it was a really unique opportunity. Uh, we had members of the council join us, and we got a chance to talk about what does it look like to help us address homelessness here in the city of Jamestown? It was a really great opportunity for us to connect with not only resource providers, but churches. Uh, but one of the things I didn't get to tell them is I haven't had uh, so many ministers staring at me at one time <laughs> that I felt like I needed to give confession. So we're really, uh, it was a really wonderful thing to be able to, to talk to them. Uh, and we want to use these forums to help engage. I do want to say that uh, having these forums, as uh, President Dulce has put together, uh, they're a little different than a city council meeting. In a city council meeting, you're there, uh, the city council's there to do business, right? They'll hear from the public, they'll hear your ideas, uh, but they have a really limited amount of time that they give members of the public to speak. Uh, tonight's really a chance to get your thoughts, to get your feelings on it, and to learn a little bit more about the work that we're doing. So we're excited to have this, and thank you to President Dulce for, for putting this together and organizing it. Um, I'll, I'll turn it over to see if we've got, are we, we good to go? Almost. Do you have any Jeopardy music? I have no Jeopardy music. Um, <laughs> seems like a very church thing to say. So <laughs> but while we're pulling that up, uh, I, will, uh, I will introduce uh, Crystal Surtick, who is our uh, Director of Development at the City of Jamestown. Crystal's been serving in this position since 2020, uh, where before that she was the City's Principal Planner uh, for the City of Jamestown. Uh, she uh, serves many hats. Not only is she part of the uh, Dep Department of Development, uh, she serves with the economic arm of the City, uh, Urban Renewal Agency, as well as 
uh, helping to run our local development corporation. She also oversees staff that do code enforcement in the city. Uh, common misconception, there are not like 20 people that do code enforcement. Uh, there are only a handful. We can count them on one hand. Uh, so there is a lot of work to be done across the city, and uh, we thank Crystal for all of her work that she does. But I will invite her up if she wants to say a few words before we get the PowerPoint up. Okay. Crystal Sturdy. Uh, well, while we're still waiting for the PowerPoint, thank you. I did send it off a little bit late, so I apologize for that. Um, and believe me, there's there's not a whole lot in there. I tried to keep it uh, brief, but um, it's great to see such a large crowd. I'm actually really happy to be here and to be able to share some of what our department does. Um, you know, as you probably are all very well aware, we are facing a pretty monumental task. Um, code enforcement being probably one of the uh, code enforcement and housing really being uh, at the top of our list. It, it takes up a lot of our time and energy. Um, every day, all day long, we're on call 24-7. Um, it's not uncommon to get a call from one of these guys in you know, the middle of the night um, or you know, on a weekend. Um, and it's uh, been a really great partnership uh, with the police department, with the fire department, our other departments. Um, that's something that we have worked very hard on over the past couple of years is to really develop a collaborative partnership um, with each other. The issues that we're all facing um, are not independent of each other, so they are not separate. We can't departmentalize them, right? Um, so, you know, having that collaborative relationship has really been important and has helped us, I think, um, make some strides and make some changes to some of our processes. Um, but, you know, like I said, the, the task is pretty monumental. Um, while we're still working, I'm just going to read to you uh, the mission of our department. Um, and we'll get that slide right out of the way. Uh, and, and this is something that, um, as I read it, we work on, we have, like the mayor said, we wear lots of hats in our department. We are uh, the Department of Development, so that is uh, inclusive of economic development, community development, neighborhood development. Uh, you, you think of all of those things, it's housing, it's businesses, it's um, uh, pretty much touch everything in some way, shape, or form that we do in the city. Um, so the mission of the City of Jamestown Department of Development is to provide economic, social, and cultural opportunities through a variety of public and private partnerships and resources to engage, educate, and empower our citizens create vibrant and safe neighborhoods with decent and affordable housing options, and to generate new investment that will improve the overall quality of life, well-being, and sustainability of the entire community. That's a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I do want to give my team kudos. Uh, we have a small team of 12, um, three of which are code enforcement officers, and uh, that's, that's a lot um, that we do. We, we have a very... Uh, a diverse team and uh, really diverse backgrounds, um, but we all work together really well. So even though we are, are kind of uh, working on all of those different things, we are doing that as a team. Um, housing and housing conditions impact economic development 
and vice versa. So you really can't look at neighborhoods and uh, downtown development and business development as separate things. They all have to be worked on at the same time. It's not a this or this. It has to be this and this and this. Um, so I'm going to just keep going, Connie. Yes. <laughs> uh, so how do we achieve our mission? There are a number of things that we do. Like I said, we work on economic development, community development, neighborhood stabilization, citizen engagement, collaborative partnerships, and policy development. Um, I want to focus on neighborhood stabilization. I think that that is probably key to a lot of what we're all here to discuss tonight. Um, and I'm just going to really high-level highlight some of the things that we do within that. Um, and, uh, and then you can ask me questions, I guess. Um, so under neighborhood stabilization, uh, code enforcement is one of our most important tools. Um, as I mentioned, we have three code enforcement officers um, right now. Code enforcement is, uh, it can be very challenging. Like I said, we are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, it's not uncommon to receive a call from the police department at 1130 at night or 2 o'clock in the morning. If there's a fire that needs um, some level of code enforcement involvement, whether it's to determine a, a building is still structurally sound um, or uh, conditions of the house may be in question, uh, that's the phone call that we get. So, um, you know, we're, we're always there, always uh, at the ready, uh, sometimes maybe a little sleepy. But <laughs> um, it, I think one of the challenges and something that is um, a lot of people I, I find don't know is that our authority stops at the sidewalk. So unless we are given um, access to an interior of a property, and that is by way of a property owner inviting us in, a tenant inviting us in, a property manager inviting us in, so someone who has the authority to open the door, um, or the police department has control of the property for whatever reason, or the fire department. We can also go in if, the EM if EMS is there, um, if we're called in by Child Protective Services uh, or another agency, but they have to have control of the, the situation and, and the property before we are able to enter the premises. Um, that, is, uh, that is law, that is, uh, and it's a challenge. Um, a lot of times we, we may be able to or, or may need to um, identify interior uh, health, life, and safety issues that could ultimately condemn a property. Um, but we can't do that unless we are able to access the interior. So um, that's just a clarification that I wanted to make. The other thing I want to say is we have condemned a lot of properties in the past couple of years. That is not something that we, we do lightly, and it's not something that we ever really want to do um, because most of the time when that happens, we are potentially displacing somebody. Um, in those situations when that happens, we work really hard with those people to try to get them um, access to resources, connect them with somebody, another agency, um, or whatever, whatever the need is. We try very hard to work with, with them, with our partners, 
um, and I'll, I'll touch on our partner agencies, to make sure that they have a place to go and they have a place to rest their head. Um, so, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that, that that is really clear. We do not take condemnation and displacement of people um, lightly, and that's not something that is not our goal at all. Um, so uh, additional, I guess, tools in the toolbox. Uh, we are a, uh, the city of Jamestown is an what's called an entitlement community. So every year we receive uh, an allocation of funding from HUD. Uh, that funding uh, is inclusive of uh, what's called the homeowner occupied, um, it allows us to do homeowner occupied rehabs, and that's the Home Investment Partnerships Program. Um, that allocation is roughly around $300,000, a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on um, the HUD's uh, formula. And then the other part of that is our community development block grant funding. Um, and Connie, if you want to just go to the next slide, that's the, yes, perfect, thank you. <laughs> um, in between there you see rental rehabs. That's a program that we are working on right now. We have had it in the past. We are working on um, rolling that back out with some uh, funding that we received. Um, it's from American Rescue Plan, but it was through the CARES Act. Uh, so we will have a rental rehab program, um, hopefully rolling out in the next couple of months. Um, in addition, we have the Hands-On Neighborhoods program that we are doing in tandem with the uh, Chautauqua County Land Bank. So that's a neighborhood cleanup program. It's one of those programs that um, brings people together. The hope is to empower people to kind of take a look at your neighborhood, get involved. You know, you do a neighborhood cleanup, uh, you make a difference in that day, and hopefully make some connections with your neighbors. So uh, we will have another one of those events coming up in October. And um, you don't have to participate in a scheduled hands-on neighborhoods event to do your own. We do have an online toolkit that helps you plan your own. So if you want to do one in your own neighborhood, that is a resource that's available to you. We'll supply the bags and the gloves and whatever else you need, the, the garbage pickers. And um, our Parks Department will actually come around and pick up the, the full garbage bags when you're done. So. Um, Feel free to let me know if that's something that you'd be interested in for your neighborhood. Um, the next item is 19A actions. So that's a, a real estate provision that allows us to uh, take title to properties, problem properties that are vacant, abandoned, um, other things that might be wrong with the property, they might be condemned, they might be unsecured, need windows boarded or, or that sort of thing. Um, the key really though is that it's a vacant property, there's no one living in that property. Um, and that allows us to clear out any back liens. It is a legal process, so it does take a period of time. Um, but once we get through that process, we actually are able to take clean title. And then the goal is to turn around and sell those properties to uh, first time home buyers um, or someone who is going to live in the property for five, at least five years, has a, a renovation plan. Um, it's a case-by-case -case kind of basis, so each one is a little bit different. Each one needs a different level of rehab, um, but it's something that we're hoping will help to create new homeownership and more homeownership, which also increases um, pride in your neighborhood, pride in your property, all of the things that go along with um, with actually owning your own home. Uh, 
The next item is zombie lawsuits. So if you're not familiar with zombie properties, that's also a, a real estate provision through New York State that allows uh, communities to file a lawsuit against uh, banks who have stalled in the foreclosure process. So they may sit on a property for years at a time and not proceed with a foreclosure. Um, this allows us to force them to expedite that process so those properties are not sitting vacant and not continuing to deteriorate. Um, and then we have a joint grant. Sorry, my, I'm reading it from my phone and it's a little wonky. Uh, joint grant programs with partner agencies. I'll talk about those partner agencies, but we do work really closely with another, a number of uh, other agencies um, in a couple of different ways. Uh, sometimes it's applying for grants that we will do together as a joint effort, and then sometimes it's layering grants that we have, that they have, and trying to really pool our resources in a really strategic way. Uh, then the ARPA, which is American Rescue Plan Programs. Uh, these are programs that uh, are either approved or in, in the process of uh, being discussed and considered. Um, the roof, sewer lateral, and water line replacement uh, or repair program, that is underway. Um, we have uh, around 110 properties that will be receiving um, this grant and it will be most of them I would say 95% of them are for roofs um, it's up to $25,000 the grant program the, the application period actually ended June 30th um, and there's uh, there's a serious need uh, that was probably the most profound thing that we found is um, and I think as you probably know if you're a homeowner if you don't have a solid roof or a solid foundation, those are the two, I think, most important things um, for your property. So um, we're also working on the 19A rehab program, um, and that would allow us to uh, establish a fund that will uh, allow us to make those repairs um, to those properties that we'll, we will be acquiring through the 19A process. Um, that's something that... Uh, will continue to uh, be able to sustain because the people who are, we are anticipating participating in that program will essentially act as a loan, as a revolving loan. So they'll be able to make the repairs and then they'll pay back the loan for the repairs that were made. Um, the goal of that is not to set anyone up for failure with a house that they can't actually bring up to, to code and, and make the essential repairs to. So. Um, we're also looking at a receivership program. Uh, what that is, is um, if there are properties that uh, are occupied by tenants and they need significant repairs made to them and landlords are unresponsive and not taking care of those things, this would allow us to, through the court system, appoint a receiver agency, and that agency then could come in make those repairs, collect rents in lieu of the landlord collecting rents for a period of time until um, the landlord either pays back uh, or the, the program is, is paid for through the rents that are collected. So um, it, it kind of gives the agency that's appointed the ability to step in, intervene, make sure that, that vital repairs are being made, 
and then property can be turned back over to the landlord or there may be another resolution um, where the landlord steps away from the property. Um, CCLB, that's the Chautauqua County Land Bank uh, program. So we uh, had a, a presentation from the land bank. They have a number of programs that they are working on. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail because I feel like I'm talking too long. Um, but uh, our partnership with the land bank is really, um, it's been... <sighs> It's been wonderful, <laughs> um, and I think it's been really critical to uh, success and, and to being able to um, take some control of some of these properties. Um, strategic acquisition and disposition, that has also been approved through ARPA, um, and that is establishing a fund to uh, identify properties that um, either need to be purchased and, and the, the city should acquire, um, and, and I use the word strategic because a lot of thought and a lot of planning goes into that. So it might be for neighborhood stabilization. Um, it might be that we need to acquire it and uh, either rehab it or demolish it um, because that is a tool that we have as well. So, um, and that also can, can be utilized for commercial properties in addition to residential. Um, I listed strategic acquisition and disposition again. So we have uh, rescue plan funding. We also have always done strategic acquisition and disposition. Um, we do receive some funding through our, our HUD uh, funding each year that we set aside for demolitions. Um, and there never seems to be enough for that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're hopeful that we can utilize some of those ARPA funds to be able to make a difference. Um, and then policy development. So right now, in process, we're working on a nuisance ordinance um, update, a rental inspection ordinance, a vacant property ordinance, um, and those are the three, three top ordinances that we're working on. We also have planning and zoning in our department. Um, we are going to be uh, releasing a request for proposals shortly for a new comprehensive plan. Our comprehensive plan was last done in 1998 and uh, a zoning code update, and that also dates back to 1998. Um, and then we have various existing plans that have been done over the course of several years that are, are really valuable that we're working to implement. Um, real, really quick, uh, collaborative partners, all of City, James, City of Jamestown departments, um, Chautauqua County Department of Health and Human Services, Chautauqua County Land Bank, the Jamestown Renaissance Corporation, Chautauqua Opportunities Incorporated, uh, CRIC, CODE, our local foundations, health and wellness service providers like MHA, um, and then direct assistance service providers like Department of Social Services, Salvation Army, UCAN. Um, so, you know, we really have a vast network of partners that we work with every single day in many different situations, oftentimes that we, we are connecting with through a code enforcement action. Um, but, you know, we, we have established really great relationships with those partner agencies, and we, we utilize them all the time. Um, and then last slide is uh, we also are inclusive. The mayor mentioned the Jamestown Local Development Corporation and the Jamestown Urban Renewal Agency. 
um, fall all within uh, the Department of Development, and then there's uh, contact information. You can find us on the website under the Department of Development. Um, phone number and email address are there as well. That's all I got. Thank you, Crystal. We appreciate it. That's certainly a lot going on. It's about the length of a Jeopardy game, so we appreciate that. I think I went over my time. Just a little. It's okay. We didn't buzz you. Um, I do want to uh, bring up now uh, Tim Jackson, who is the Chief of Police and the Director of Public Safety uh, for the city of Jamestown. Uh, the Chief has uh, been in this role you're going on th three years now? Uh, almost three years, although he's no stranger, having uh, served in the, uh, the city's police force for many, many years in various leadership roles. Uh, Chief Jackson is the one that uh, helps to keep our streets safe and uh, deals with not only the administrative things, but all of the investigative items that uh, occur here in the city and has done a phenomenal job. He is a straight shooter. He tells you like it is. And if you, if you don't like it, he'll still help you. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful uh, pleasure and privilege uh, to be able to have him as our Director of Public Safety and Chief of Police. Uh, and I'd like him to come on up and introduce the things we've got going on in the city of Jamestown. Chief Jackson. So again, thank I want to thank everyone for coming tonight. Um, what I've prepared is a presentation on one of the most uh, important issues we're dealing with in law enforcement and the community, and that's gun violence. And of course, with gun violence comes narcotics. So those are our, by far our most important issues facing law enforcement and the city of Jamestown from a law enforcement perspective. Um, joining me tonight, I almost forgot, <laughs> Sorry. At the end of the table, Captain Scott Forster. He's in charge of our patrol division. And community resource officer, Matt Reinhart. You also will notice our Facebook page. He is the one. It's been a long time secret. But he is actually the one that does the, the post for our page. So... <laughs> So the first slide I had um, was the summary of confirmed shootings we've had. So this year, up until August 14th, that's the most recent statistics I have, we've had 16 confirmed shootings. Compared to last year was 19. That was the entire year. So 2021, we had 19 for the whole year and up till August of this year, we've had 16. And when I, when I talk about confirmed shootings, I mean there's evidence, shell casings, someone was hit, uh, bullet holes in a house, apartment, car. A firearm was definitely used in these cases. In 2022, our cases involving reports of firearms have increased 4.2% compared to year-to-date 2021 and 76.2% .2 
compared to the five-year average. And the five-year average is 27.8 cases. So it is an increase. And we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about, and the captain's going to address it as well. I'm sure the biggest question is, well, what are we doing about it, right? We're going to, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So as you can see from our map, it might be a little bit difficult to see, but our shootings are all over the city, believe it or not. They're not, they're, they're pretty scattered. We have them on the south side. We've had them here. They're scattered. So it's not easy to combat this because it's not rocket science. It's very difficult to figure out where the next shooting is going to, going to occur. So they're scattered all over the city. So this year, we've had 48 firearms seized year to date. Again, this is mid-August. Held or recovered by JPD, 48. That's since January of this year. So I'm going to talk about the non-fatal shootings, and these are the shootings that a lot of people have asked me questions about. These are the shootings where people have not been uh, killed, obviously, but cars have been damaged, people's houses have been shot, apartments, their residences. So far, either an arrest has been made or a warrant has been applied for for all these people. So we're doing really well on our investigative side because these people are going to be held accountable as much as we can do as a police department. We are arresting people. We are filing for warrants. Some of these people, like he, he is on the top 10 most wanted. We have not found him yet, but we do have a warrant for him. And that's a summary of the recent non-fatal shootings. So recently, as everyone knows, we had the homicide on Prendergast. And as a result of that, two people have been charged. And there's not a lot I can say about this case. I can tell you that two people have been charged because it's very open. Um, it's still in the very early proceedings of this, but two people have been charged with this, and it's an open investigation. That was the recent homicide on Prendergast Avenue. And now I'm going to introduce Cap Captain uh, Scott Forster. He's going to talk about some of our approach to this, and you're also going to see in here, he's going to touch on um, how we're working with our federal partners to get around bail reform. I know there's a lot of different opinions of the bail reform, but I can tell you the federal system is very severe in punishment. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Good evening. Uh, like Chief mentioned, uh, my name is Captain Scott Forster. I'm the operations commander at Jamestown Police Department, which is essentially the patrol captain. Uh, you're going to see a slide here that has all the details that we've run with our GIVE grant, it's called. Uh, the GIVE grant stands for Gun Involved Violence Elimination Grant. Um, this is the ninth one that we've had, the ninth year we participated in the GIVE. Uh, before that was, I believe, Project Impact, uh, which was kind of on the same lines. GIVE focuses not only on gun violence, but it focuses on domestic incidents, uh, community engagements. Uh, it uh, helps pay for our crime analysts, which then obviously assists with us with the information we need to uh, run our targeted patrols. Uh, as Chief mentioned, the shots fired calls, um, warrant services, and then a word that you've heard a lot tonight already and you're going to hear more is uh, partnerships. Uh, we work very closely with all the local partnerships as well as federal partnerships 
um, to make sure that we're doing as much as we can to fix whatever issues that, that we're having in our community. Um, you'll, I'll apologize now, I have a ton of notes written down as we're going through here, so if I skip around, uh, forgive me for that. So here, this slide right here just has our uh, details that we ran from our last cycle. So the cycle goes uh, July 1st through the following June 30th. Um, and like I said before, the grant covers a, a wide range of things that we do as far as patrol goes. Uh, so last year, ending uh, June of 2022, we had 115 details. They include uh, focus deterrence, which is our domestic violence. Uh, we're following up with individuals, make sure they're following court orders and then giving resources to both um, the victims and the suspects of, of domestic violence. Our targeted patrols, our hotspot patrols, uh, community engagements, um, some of the other things we do, um, we do some saturation patrols, some unmarked patrols. Uh, we have a lot of different things we can do with it, beat patrols, bicycle patrols. Um, it's just a matter of, like Chief said, uh, being in the right place at the right time. So with the 115 details, there was 26 beat patrols. Um, it's a little bit skewed because if we run a bike patrol, we don't count that as a, bike, uh, as a beat patrol. However, they're out in the community and they're, they're trying to, to make connections that way. We also have, um, like Crystal mentioned, work with DOD with um, the uh, community violence and um, pre uh, violence prevention program which we use and we put officers on beat patrols for that as well. Um, we had 170 vehicle and traffic stops, issued 104 tickets and had 101 arrests. So part of give, part of crime analysis is having targeted areas that we're trying to enforce. Um, the unfortunate part with that and, and like Jamestown um, and Chief mentioned, we have a wide range of issues in different areas. So when we, we target a specific area, sometimes we miss and it goes to a different one. So it's kind of, uh, you know, we put our resources to where the analysis shows they should be, where the data shows. Um, it's just a matter of hoping that, you know, that we catch it when it's there. Um, talking about the partnerships with, uh, here's a list of some federal indictment sentences and charges. These are a few of them. I'll try not to read them all just to bore you, but, um, it says Denver Comenda pled guilty conspiracy to possess with intent to distribute and to distribute 400 grams of or more of fentanyl, uh, mandatory minimum penalty of 10 years in prison, maximum of life, and a fine of uh, $10 million. Roberto Milan arrested and charged criminal complaint with production and attempted production of child pornography, possession of child pornography, carry a minimum penalty of five years in prison, maximum of 30 years, and a $250,000 fine. And you'll see with a lot of these, and, and Chief kind of mentioned it too, it's narcotics, it's, it's guns, it's, it's violence, and it, it stems everywhere else. And the importance of these partnerships is they help us with anything that we have. Uh, Roberto Morales, Sanchez, Ryan Bloom, Rachel Allison, and Katie Calamari. Uh, federal grand jury return indictment charging these four with narcotics conspiracy, which carries a minimum, uh, mandatory minimum penalty of 10 years in prison and maximum of life. Richard Sendall, sentenced to terminate state prison uh, term of six years with three years post-release supervision, pleading guilty to two counts, criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, uh, which are both class B felonies. Aaron Davis, sentenced to terminate state prison term of five years, five years post-release supervision, pled guilty to criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree, loaded firearm, which is a class C felony. 
sentenced as a violent offender after having two felony convictions within 10 years. Alfredo Diaz, convicted of possession with intent to distribute and to distribute fentanyl, which was sentenced to serve 70 months in prison. Federal grand jury on Stephen Mojica Medina, return indictment charging distribution of heroin fentanyl, acetyl fentanyl causing death. Narcotics conspiracy, possession with intent to distribute heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, crack cocaine, using and maintaining a drug involved premises, possession of firearms and furtherance of drug trafficking crimes, and being a felon in possession of a firearm and ammunition. Charges carry a mandatory minimum penalty of 30 years in prison, a maximum of life, and a million dollar fine. Bradley Nat, uh, federal grand jury, return indictment charging narcotics conspiracy, using and maintaining a drug involved premises, distribution of controlled substances causing serious bodily injury. Charges carry a mandatory minimum penalty of 20 years in prison and maximum of life. Uh, so that is the end of that uh, slideshow, but um, just a couple of things that I wrote down here um, just to kind of give you, I know you're gonna have questions, so I'll keep it short. Um, like I mentioned, our saturation patrols and our unmarked patrols is something that um, I've talked to some of you on the phone and, and we're more than willing to, to help in that community if you have issues or you have questions um, to help with that. Um, but the biggest thing with our partnerships, we work with, uh, with the GIVE grant. We have meetings every month. We go over all this data. Um, our crime analyst puts together a really nice uh, presentation for us. Um, it has everybody from, we have the Sheriff's Department that we work with, the DA's office, probation, parole, New York State Police, uh, DOD. Uh, so we have a huge range of partnerships that we're all working together on. And um, this, the Give Grant for us is one of our major ways that we're, we're trying to combat the issues that we're having. Thank you. I wanna thank Crystal and Tim and Scott for putting together that uh, presentation. And I'll open it up for some questions now to any members of the staff. Uh, uh, so if anybody wants to raise their hand, stand up, ask a question to... involved before bail reform? Possibly. Possibly? Okay. Yes. I talked to these folks for a long time. I can't say enough about our police department and what they've done. But the problem is this. The, the mayor did not talk about the American Rescue Plan and what that's all about. It came to this city as a major opportunity to do a lot of things based on COVID and how COVID reacted to our country and our community. The city of Jamestown actually got more money than the county of Chautauqua. We got 28, how much? 28 million dollars. 28 million dollars. I've been on this gun violence thing for the last year and a half to get the administration on board with supporting public safety. I brought it up a year and a half ago to add more police officers, which by the way, the regs of the American Rescue Plan are specifically cited for gun violence. It's in the regs. The emphasis on the American Rescue Plan was 
economic recovery, public health, public safety. So it's taken a year and a half to actually exercise almost the opportunity for more officers to be on the street when we could have had them on the street a year ago. A year ago. Now they're not even on the street now because there's processes that have to go through in the police department to make them peace officers. Okay? It doesn't automatically happen. It takes time. So what I'm asking all of you in the community, because you actually elect the people that are representing you, what's the most important thing for you? Public safety, your family. In other words, you don't want to be a victim of your environment, and you don't want the felons to make the environment a victim of you. So we have this opportunity, there's about $8 million left, and I think it's important that the community understands they have every right to demand that public safety be the number one priority going forward. Economic development is an opportunity, but the opportunity of public safety is for everyone. I don't care if you're 90 or three years old. Now here are some ideas. I'm gonna ask the mayor if he knows uh, of City Grip. Are you familiar with City Grip? I'm not familiar with City okay. Grip. City Gun Violence Reduction Insight Portal, representing the whole country. It's based on the following, tracking analytics, crime gun intelligence centers, track gun violence, Mayor's Office of Gun Violence Protection and Prevention, open data and transparency, gunshot detection, crime prevention through environmental design, early intervention systems, intervention, domestic violence danger and lethality assessments, safe passage, secure gun storage, extreme risk, law implementation, NISCS denial investigations, disarmed domestic abusers, family justice centers, focused deterrent programs, street outreach, hospital-based violence intervention programs, intimate partner violence intervention, Violence Reduction Fellowships, Trace Every Gun Crime, Submit Crime Gun Ballistics, Multidiscipline Homicide and Shooting Incident Reviews, and Problem Solving Hotspots. We don't have to reinvent everything. This is here for us to use. We can use the American Rescue Plan in a lot of different ways, and we can hope something will happen. But what needs to happen in this community is for everyone to be safe, and believe that they're going to continue to be safe in their community. So I would suggest, with the money that's there, that another $2 million of it be given to the public safety side, where more officers can be involved, because it's just started. So I asked the mayor what is his most important role as a mayor, and I would assume it's public safety. Therefore, I would hope that we would embark in following what's necessary is to assist our police department, provide them with the equipment, the manpower. They don't have a street crimes unit. They don't have highway patrol people actively enforcing speeding. How many people have a problem with speeding? How many people have a problem with noise? 
This is where it takes place right here. So I guess my question, and I don't want to dominate, this is your meeting, not my meeting. But I've been involved with this too long. I've been in many city council meetings. Everyone can testify about gun violence. And now, just in May, the city president said, we are finally using the money because the first budget had like $150,000. So I guess I wanted to ask everyone here, what would you rather have their spend $8 million on? Public safety or some of the things that have limited value? And my question, final question is this, deals with housing. How many houses have been condemned and still have the orange sign on them? And we're still trying to work out the process to take them down. I've gone by houses for years with the orange sign. Other communities bring a bulldozer and tear them down. Sue us, sue us. Because crime and violence and victims of environment are part of the problem we have because we have allowed too long for these houses to stay up. Thank you. Doug Champ, I live at 225 Bowen Street. I'm 77 years old. I've got three children, three grandchildren. I'm a veteran and I worked for the city for 35 years in the Board of Public Utilities. Thank you. We'll take another question, but just to address Mr. Champ, uh, Mr. Champ, thank you for that. Uh, I will say that, this, that I've worked directly with the city council to allocate several million dollars to adding police officers and adding firefighters. Um, we've already committed to that. We've actively been hiring. We have three open spots right now. So if you have friends, family members, kids that want to come back to Jamestown and work for our police department, I've got a spot for them with the chief. Uh, we have already hired our firefighters. We added four new firefighters. We're looking for three new police officers. We've already committed several million dollars just to that alone with the rescue plan funds. With the uh, housing, and I can let Crystal speak to that, but on average it costs twenty to $30,000 to take down a house. Twenty to $30,000. Every year we allocate one hundred to $200,000 just for demolitions here in the city of Jamestown. I don't know Crystal, can I say anything else to that? Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that. Um, so uh, Mr. Champ asked why it takes so long. Part of it is funding. Um, we are limited in the amount of funding we can allocate from our HUD funds to demolition specifically. Um, the maximum we are ever allowed to allocate is about 150,000. It's, it's based on the formula and how much we get, but it's right around 150 at the most. Um, the city does have a, a line item that they do um, also contribute uh, roughly 100000 towards demolitions. Um, the other issue, though, really is um, there are a lot of issues, right? Condemnations, we don't always want to tear down a house that has been condemned. Con condemned houses can sometimes be fixed. Um, sometimes they just need to be cleaned. Uh, so if, if a house has been condemned, 
the immediate goal is not necessarily to tear it down. Um, the other part of that is uh, with the pandemic, we are still seeing serious delays in everything. Um, contractors are backed up. We have a limited number of demolition contractors. Uh, demolitions oftentimes uh, require a contractor who is certified to do abatement of lead and asbestos. So that also adds another layer of expense to a demolition. Um, so it's, it's not as simple as it's condemned, let's go tear it down. There is a process that we have to follow. There are funding limitations and um, the goal is not always to immediately go tear something down. Uh, really it's, it's how do we remove the blight in the best way possible and stabilize the neighborhood. So um, there are a lot of factors, I agree. It, it can be very frustrating to see something be condemned and to not have it abated in a, a timely manner, but we have to go through a legal process and we have to, to go through the process that is available to us. And we, we do do that and we do try to do that as quickly as we can. Just a couple of questions that were submitted uh, probably to the chief. Uh, can anything be done about extreme noise levels in speeding cars, motorcycles? On the north side, specifically the Lakeview Avenue area, loud sound systems, vehicles, very loud exhaust, uh, motorcycles, etc. What what are some of the things that are being done? If you want to well, the, the issue with loud noise complaints certainly something can be done. The problem is is that we cannot make an arrest unless the officer hears it himself. So, if they're not physically there and hear it, they cannot make an arrest. That's 90% of the problem. However, I will say on behalf of council, they, for the first time in many years, have allowed us to get to 65 police officers, which was previously 60. One of those officers was going to be strictly used for loud noise complaints. Uh, just another one here. This has to do with the homeless. I know that the mayor mentioned a little bit about that. It's been a problem that's been just creeped up here in the last uh, several months. Uh, they just wanted to know what's being done about homeless people under the bridge. People um, who walk to and from work don't feel safe. Also, what's being done to house women who are homeless. And you want to know that? Well, you mentioned some of that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So uh, to, uh, to address that, uh, first and foremost, Many people don't realize there are only uh, two shelters here in the city. There is one for men, and there's one for uh, women and children of domestic violence. That's it, right? Let's, let's keep that in mind. The challenge that we originally uh, have seen, and I've, I've talked to all of our resource organizations and our faith communities about, is that on average, we would do a, there would be a census done of the number of, of people that are homeless here in the city of Jamestown. Many years, that has been about 25 to 30 people. In the last several months, we have now seen an increase of over 70 people or more in just certain areas. So it is it has risen rapidly across the city. Uh, in many cases, it's visible. We've always had homelessness. Let's be clear about that. We've always had it. It has not been as visible as it has been. With the uh, change in the rules of the pandemic, with the increase in evictions, 
with the movement of people we are seeing more and more in our community. We're aware of that. We also realize and have talked to our resource providers, those that work in the homeless field, have found to be stretched very thin. For example, one of our main organizations that does census counting and supporting our homeless population has one individual that covers street outreach in all of Chautauqua County. And that is, that's based on a, a variety of factors, right? So from the city's perspective, we're saying, how do, we get, how do we get more resources to those providers? And how do we bring in more community members to help deal with that process? So we've met in the last couple days, we've met with uh, the majority of the members of our homelessness coalition in the county. And we have met with, last night as I mentioned, over 60 faith leaders. In the, in the city of Jamestown and, and other parts outside. What we've seen in other cities and when I've talked to other mayors, they have found that when the faith leaders and the resource providers work together to create a partnership, then they've been able to tackle emergency sheltering, getting resources to where people are, getting folks off the street. That's a model that we are trying to do right here in the city of Jamestown. And in the next two weeks, we'll be bringing both those groups together to start to look at, at that model. Because we're afraid when, the win when winter comes, when the snow comes, we're going to start to see people in abandoned homes. We're going to start to see people potentially dead on the street. And that's something that we do not want to, be, to have. So we're working with those organizations together in order to try to tackle this issue. My name is Uncle Tara. I'm a resident of Jamestown. I've been here just over two years. And the fact that you're talking about homelessness, this is something that I would like to share. I wrote this down because I'm an old guy and I don't want to forget. So I just want to say I want to address the safety issues with the ever-growing homeless population migrating to Jamestown. And what are the numbers pertaining to Jamestown people who are homeless, who are from Jamestown, versus the 70 people or more that you're talking about. We don't want Jamestown to become a magnet for the homeless and all the safety, economic issues, commerce, and problems of imposition that comes with it. The newspaper mentioned uh, all the research our city government has been doing from cities that are already in it and <coughs> overrun by it. Um, why use those cities as models? Create your own model to scale down this nemesis taking place by setting examples, by helping by hand-up solutions rather than handout. Jamestown will become a magnet and doing so will create issues beyond our ability to handle it. It is okay to help down on your luck individuals, but really most of those individuals are not open to solving issues of this nature. Too much help perpetuates the enabling of such elements of degrading <coughs> presence to a community. Put the use, the, use the tool of cause and effect and put it on the table to help make better your decisions to answer our problems facing us today. This is a big one that needs to be, that needs immediate attention, is not to overtake our community as it does in others. Jamestown's mantra should be to give a hand up, not a hand out, and stick to that by being firm. 
We know there are exceptions to all rules, but doing so should not be to the detriment of the community. Perhaps Jamestown can be a model of how to handle massive homelessness, massive homelessness going on. In giving hand up solutions, make the homeless people that are being helped earn their way by helping us clean up our city and the areas where we are short on personnel to accomplish these tasks. It will also give them an important feeling of purpose as a part of being something bigger than that, bigger than that for themselves. And that is our community. And I just wanna ask one question about what is the policy on vagrancy in Jamestown, New York. And thank you very much for your time. someone to be charged with loitering they have to be gathered in a place and about to or planning to commit a crime so that really doesn't apply the other thing to note just just so everyone is aware um, under under the current laws let's say you are loitering right and you are arrested it's an it's an appearance ticket so you are issued a ticket while you are right there right you're not taken back you're not booked uh, and you know, are we ever going to see that person in court? Probably not, right? So there is a bit of a process uh, to that that uh, makes it difficult for us. You know, you you think that oh, okay, we got to arrest them and take them back somewhere, right? That's not actually how the the lawyering law works. Can you follow up on that, Chief? With I uh, you know that there's been a, uh, a movement on each shift to kind of look through the downtown area to try to. to Remove if there's large numbers of people in in that area and how that how's, how that's working. Yes, on every shift our officers meet with the people, um, mostly on North Main Street underneath the underneath the viaduct, and try to move them along. But also what they've done is hand out information to, for them to try to get help. So they're not just going down there and saying you know go somewhere else. They're actually handing out pamphlets to try to get the people help. So we've been doing that for about a week now. All of our officers are equipped with resource cards and information uh, for individuals. And we've also been asking our resource providers to uh, go down there. They have been going down to various areas to help provide additional uh, resources. Another question for the chief. Um, Please explain what our new police officer for quality of life will be able to do for our neighborhoods. The quality of life officer? Oh, what they're going to be able to yeah, do. Yeah, examples of what that really means and what they'll be able to do. They'll be, they'll be trying to combat loud noise like I talked about. Uh, neighborhood complaints, uh, peace officer issues, any type of issues that are a low priority call, quality of life complaints. The, the officer would be dedicated to that. However, we do not have enough officers and there is no one eligible to hire, so that has been put on the side for now. So we do not have a quality of life officer or a nuisance officer because there's no one to hire. 
And just to follow up on that, I know that uh, certainly people get frustrated and they call when they hear fireworks, when they hear motorcycles and music and noise, and police officers have to obviously prioritize. They may not get there for an hour or two hours. By that time, the incident is over with. But again, with the number of officers that are out there on any given shift, they have to prioritize the importance of the calls. And that, that can be frustrating. So that was our intent with that quality um, of life officer that we have put together, just a matter of getting that person, getting trained, getting, getting on board. Hopefully, by next summer, in spring, and we're winding down in the season here in the Pleiades will calm down when the weather gets cooler and darker, but next year hopefully you know we'll have someone in that position and we're, we're frustrated at the time that it's taking to find officers, get them trained, and get them on the street. Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, 46 Faulkner Street. Um, I, I, I kind of want to touch up, up upon what Al said um, about the homelessness problem. Um, after living in Austin, Texas, um, for four years and watching homeless problem just escalate immensely there. Um, he had said that, do we really want to go and talk to partners that are having the problem also because that's what the mayor did there. And, and in 2018, they allowed the residents of the city of, of Austin to camp on the street. They, they approved that, they allowed it. Well, it turned into just a, a tent city. And, and, and recently, you know, last night I, I Googled some stuff, and, and I know that there may be people that aren't, aren't going to agree with what I say um, right now, and I really don't care. Um, do not offer food to homeless people, because they do not want food. They want money. If you give people money and you give people food, instead of doing those kind of things, Donate money to the soup kitchen. Donate money to the mission. Because your money will go a lot farther there than it will be giving that person that next hit of heroin or that next hit of meth. Because that's what's happening. Not every homeless person is an addict. Not every person is mentally ill. You know, I've lived in Jamestown for pretty much 47 years of my life. And we used to have really nice mental health Places for people to go. We don't even have that anymore. Yes, we do. Then we're right over there. No, I'm not trying to make this an argument. I'm just no, stating. No, I'm saying Sean just raised his hand. Right. That's where they are. I'm talking about Jones Hill. You know, we used to we used to have those programs and that would would help people. You know, and and I think that. I think that you know we need to look back into that kind of stuff. You know, um, I understand that MHA is peer to peer. I do understand that. You know, right in City Hall, there's the uh, Chautauqua County Mental Health. You know, it's right there, right in the building. You know, are are they here? No, Chautauqua County Mental Health. Mental hygiene. Mental hygiene. Sorry, my bad. You know. Um, as a, as a kid growing up in the city um, with a mentally ill mother, um, there, were, there were not many resources. There were not many resources. People whispered it was a stigma. It was a stigma to be mentally ill in the city. And the stigma is still there. People don't want to get help. 
because they're afraid. You know, they're afraid that they're, they're, they're going to lose this or they're going to lose that. You know, and, and we, have to, we have to learn how to, to, to get these people to know that there are resources that can really, really help them. Not just send them to DSS to fill out an application. Or to go to COI and say, oh, well, if you come back with a denial letter, we'll help you. Because that's exactly how it is. You as a, as a lawyer, as a mayor, if you tried to fill out one of those applications, you may even need help. Because they're not easy. And I understand that the city doesn't have as many resources that they allocate out money and here and there. But I, I think that we need to figure out where is that money going? Because I don't see it. You know, one of, the, one of the things that we keep talking about is we don't have any police officers. We don't have anybody to hire. We have a sheriff's academy at JCC. Right, for, the, all, for everyone. You know, we, the superintendent's here tonight, and, and one of the things that, you know, we've talked about in the police reform committee is that adding on to the school curriculum, police, fire, there, we, we live in a city that the BPU is our main viable source, and we don't even have classes for people that live here to learn how to work at the BPU or to the, to the Parks and Recreation Department. We should be teaching our people that live here how to stay here and want to work. For years and years and years, since like 1993 I graduated, most of the people that I graduated with don't live here anymore. And continuing on all those years, those people have left. They don't care about Jamestown. They don't want to stay. They don't want to be teachers. Maybe it's getting a little bit better. Excuse me? I'm sorry. Sorry. People are rude. we work with the homeless population on a daily basis. We help them navigate the system through the town. Um, if there is a handout, yes, sometimes we give them a sandwich or a cup of coffee, but that's how we build trust with them so that they will trust us to then go through the process. Okay, and one of the things we have to go through is when we bring them to their appointments, they can sign up for help to get housing, to get food, to get medical assistance, to get a lot of different things. Um, but then there's also rules that are involved in that, that if they're 15, 20 minutes late for an appointment or miss an appointment on a day, they can be sanctioned for 45 days. <clears throat> so at that point, there is nothing we can do. There is nothing the participant can do. And honestly, there's a lot of times where there's nothing that the officials can do to get around that. They're sanctioned for 45 days, so now we have to wait 45 days in order for them to apply for assistance again. I'm not talking about. No, no, I'm, not, not, feeding, I'm, I'm not missing. I'm no, no, people, missing. I'm seeing people yep. walking in and out of places when they so, come up to people that's sure. important, or they're coming up to people begging for money. I'm that's just explaining I'm the situation of what our participants go through in order to try to get safe housing. You know, and that's nothing, honestly, that the city even has control over. 
um, these sanctions and stuff are put at the state and federal level. That's nothing that any of us can change. The only way that can be changed is at much higher levels. So the, the homeless population here in town does want help. They come to us every day. And we try to help them as much as we can every day. We give them rides to pantries. Um, we've dipped into our own pockets to pay for hotel rooms in the wintertime for a mother and her child. We do these things to help them because they are doing the work to try to get back on their feet. The thing is, is there are a lot of incidents or situations where there's things just really stacked against them. Um, and we try to support them through that as much as we can with compassion and with love and with respect because these are people's brothers, sisters, daughters, sons, their mothers, fathers. Some of them are grandmothers and grandfathers that we help that are just down on their luck and we try to help them. And the truth <coughs> is, is our city and our police department is going above and beyond to try to help these people get back on their feet. And it's not handouts. It's not. The chief mentioned uh, at one point we had 60 officers in Jamestown. You, you said the council voted you, we can go up to 55, but... 65. 65? Yes. Oh, okay. Now, is there a problem with recruiting officers? Uh, have you thought about going out of the area to recruit? Yes, we've done that. You still have to be New York State certified, so the person would still have to go through our academy here in Chautauqua County. The Sheriff's Academy of yes. Or an abbreviated academy still through the... Or uh, an academy in New York State, not necessarily Chautauqua County. It depends on which academy in New oh, York State. Okay. Plus, you have to take the civil service exam too. Pardon? You have to take a civil service exam. Yeah, to the gentleman who felt that the homeless should go around and do, um, uh, oh God, I'm trying to control myself, Try do uh, work around the city as far as picking up trash and that, I agree with the gentleman over here. Everyone should be respected and be treated with value. The homeless, because an individual is homeless does not mean that it's beneath anyone that everyone falls on hard times, that there is difficulty in everyone's life, that the homeless does not mean that they are drug addicts, does not mean that they have issues that are different from individuals in this community. They should have, they should have help and resources and supports. There are different communities that have pop-up villages that have different, not tents, but different houses. If they, we networked with other communities, I had also researched, and you can laugh, Missy, I had also researched 
with other community, with other places that there is out at West, there is also in New York City, there is in Philadelphia and other places where they had funding through the rescue plan that has not gone through Congress yet where they actually utilize small houses for homeless. There is not just individuals who are coming into our community, there are individuals in our community who are gonna become homeless because there are slum landlords. There are slum landlords who are upping the rent and there are gonna be people who are gonna become homeless. There are individuals who are not gonna be, because of circumstances, loss of jobs, economics, that are gonna be that in that situation. We treat everybody with value. We treat everybody with respect and dignity, regardless, even if they have issues that are have addictions, then we help them. We don't we don't degrade them. That is not how we should be. We should come together as a community and help each other. And as far as violence, there's other programs, and I had given you a slip, it's called CVI. And I don't know if the police officers know of it. I know you have the GIVE program. It's community violence intervention, that the community works together with education in the schools, as well as works with the hospitals, works with different agencies besides just the, the how with just the other agencies that you mentioned there's works with mental health works with everyone together to help with behavioral modification helps with therapies to help individuals who are dealing with violence and it actually works together in making sure that there is therapy and for not just the individuals who are engaged in violence, people who are violent victims, that you can actually bring back the community itself. And instead of hearing, I, I sat back here, my, I could feel my blood pressure going because I could hear the same rhetoric and the same inane comments. And I'm thinking, how are we actually, we're doing the same thing over and over and hearing the same commentary that is actually, oh God, all I could think of is how we're listening to the same asinine, and I'll say it that way, asinine comments. How does that help? It doesn't. It makes things, you empower people, you don't degrade them. Sheriff did want to make a couple of brief comments about recruitment. Uh, so I have actually a couple things. First of all, on the recruitment, um, the questions were brought up, and I heard somebody bringing people from out of town or whatever. Even if they were police officers in a, out of town, as the chief mentioned, we have to have an appraisal or assessment by the Department of Criminal Justice Services to determine how much other training they have to have in New York and then they have the civil service. So we currently have nobody who has the training and qualifications on the civil service list to be hired by any police department in the county. We currently have 14 uh, Chautauqua County residents in the academy, but they have just started, so they won't be ready to even get out of the academy until around May, uh, May or June of next year. So that, that is creating a problem. We've looked at other departments, but really we would be just taking them from another jurisdiction. So uh, touch on that. 
I, I, you know, I was at the meeting last night with a homelessness uh, question, and really, one size doesn't fit all. And you know, if we look at the, the problem with homelessness, um, I have had a little bit of experience working in that field for a few years. And we see, I think we have to look at it as a relief. There are some people that need that handout. They need it right now to survive. But then we need to do a rehabilitation. So how, how, we have to talk to them. You know, how do you, what do you see yourself improving? What do you need now to survive? What do you need for the next month to survive? And then moving forward month after that. So we got, then we have to have a development. Yeah, it's kind of like, that, you know, give them a fish, feed them for a day, teach them the fish, uh, feed them for a lifetime. But we have to work with them. Um, you know, I'm guilty. I'll tell people you have to be very careful when you're out there, you know, I encourage people to take the time, you know, but I would say go to St. Susan's and sit down and talk to people and just have a conversation, a non-judgmental conversation to find out what's on. But I, you know, I fed my vice the other night, then I went to 50s to get an ice cream cone, um, and there was a young man out there that was homeless, asked me for a burger. I would tell people, saying, hey, don't give them food. You know, we talked for 20 minutes, had uh, dinner together, uh, you know, it was really nice um, when the, the bill came out, or when he ordered and they told him what the cost was, he, he said, well, can we, can we do something different, a little cheaper? Not everybody's trying to abuse the system. Not everybody, you know, and, and I do think some of the people that we're dealing with that are homeless, you know, are going to be resistant of that help. But I will say Chautauqua County has a lot of resources. We need to know how to access them. And we meet, we've been meeting monthly with the um, behavioral health and law enforcement community uh, together trying to figure out what are some uh, gaps we have. And there are a lot of gaps, but it's how to, to tie them together. Uh, mental health associations involved. Uh, there's agencies from around the county, police agencies, uh, service providers, and we are uh, continuing to do that. New York State, we're now doing a, uh, we're gonna have a threat, threat assessment management team that is involving people from around the community, all different aspects and that will meet hopefully bi-weekly and then we have issues, we'll have a, a board that will meet uh, quarterly just to discuss how we can move forward with that. But, um, you know, I just, you know, I hear a lot of stuff about Jamestown. I'm a Lakewood born and raised and I moved to Jamestown willingly. So, you know, I, I chose to move to Jamestown and I love the city. I love to be able to walk around the city um, and there's a lot of great things happening here. But I, I would say what's really, I appreciate the, uh, the president of the board, uh, council and all the council members for having this. This is a great turnout, but ideally this room would be too packed that we didn't have enough people, you know, enough room in here. Because, you know, see, we hear, see something, say something, then we have to do something. Right. And I really think what we need is our neighbors. Uh, you know, I had a neighbor lady that got home from work one night at three in the morning and she called me the next day and wanted to know why I was up at 3 a.m., okay? And I asked her why she was up at 3 a.m. And you know, we complain about nosy neighbors, but we need nosy neighbors. And that's why I encourage everybody to do it. Thank you. Basically, the police department, the chief. Uh, what is the time response if you get a call that says 
shots fired and how many patrols are on duty during the night. And then I'll piggyback that up with what can we, what can they or we do as residents when we know there's a drug house and that house has a scanner and has cameras and knows when you're coming and what you're doing. So you can kind of remember those three okay. shots. I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to remember all three. Minimum of six total officers working each shift, seven to three, three to 11, and 11 to seven. So that would mean at minimum, there's three officers on the road, a supervisor, a desk officer, and a jail officer. That's the minimum we can have on the road. If somebody the response time for a shots fired call is everybody's going to go. Everybody, even if they're on a call, they're going to go as soon as they, as soon as they get there. They're going. Okay. The other uh, question. Well, the other question was uh, about the frustration people have. They know there's a drug house. The yes. People are you, there. They have cameras. They have scanners. We have a tip, a tips line, anonymous line. You can call. A lot of people have used it. Drug investigations take a very long time. They're very long, sometimes years. It takes a very long time. This but it's house, this house that we're talking about has been suspect for over two years, and we sit on the porch. We see drugs being made right out straight, right out there, broad daylight. We have them cutting through lots with satchels over their arms, which I assume are drugs. Last week, they were gone for several days. They had a dog that was inside, howling and howling. We called, speak for, we thought, okay, this might be the perfect opportunity. Take care of this poor animal, and you would have access to that house. As soon as that went on to that scanner, there was a vehicle that pulled up, sped up to that house, stopped. The woman ran into the house, and the police were about 10 minutes late getting there. So if you know someone has a scanner, you can tell the dispatcher that you believe they have a scanner and to not put it out over okay, the police well, radio. That's nice to know. I did yeah. not go there. Because I'll tell you, he's got cameras everywhere, and a big, big screen. And it's more than one street that's involved. Mm -hmm. And it's it's sad because the neighborhood is being destroyed. We've had break-ins. Everybody's installing their own cameras now. It's extremely frustrating. I'll take a couple more questions from the floor right I'm Neil Burke. I live at 11 Lakeview Avenue. I'll make it brief. Um, first of all, a compliment for the police. You've done a great job with the fireworks. We had a terrible problem with fireworks, and it's a lot better, and thank you for that. My main concern is the music blasting out of cars between Falconer Street and 6th Street. I have a regular parade of, uh, of loud cars going by my house. It's hurting all of our quality of life. Um, you can, it, it's, not, I, you know, it's not hard to miss them. Most of them are low-rider Toyota and Honda cars with decals all over them. And I think they've got speakers mounted somehow on the outside. <laughs> but my, my quality of life is destroyed. I don't even want to sit out in front of my house. 
I talked to an older couple in the neighborhood, and they said they can't enjoy their front porch anymore, and I have some other neighbors that are threatening to leave. So, uh, in addition, it's just kind of a lawless feel. You know, I, I can put up a motorcycle doing wheelies in front of my house at 2 in the morning. That's old hat. I'm used to that. But the, the music and the speeding are really what, uh, what need to be addressed. And, uh, it's not, and it's not just on Lakeview. If enough of these people got pulled over and ticketed, then maybe the message would, would get out. And that's what I'd like to see. sponsored uh, event, although it's not a uh, official city council meeting. Um, we did put information out not only on uh, social media and the newspaper, we also disseminated it, um, especially to the um, Hispanic churches, which we find a lot of contact with, uh, as well as um, a lot of our other, other churches and other faith-based groups that are connected. Um, there was no, we didn't have any requests to do any type of like door hangers or things like that. But that's not true, because I wrote it myself. I, I'm not saying that we, we had any requests from city council or things like that. It's, we had, oh, this is an open forum for everyone. Right, but you're the mayor, so why wouldn't you, why wasn't there something where you go door to door to try to, to talk to the Latino people to get them to come to this meeting? <laughs> I, I, that's, a, that's a really tough question. <laughs> Well, unless you involve them, it's not, it's not going to happen, okay? So you have to make some outreach to them somehow, okay? So that's all I'm saying. They don't know about this church. It would have been better at Love School, where, where, where they are, are more familiar with. And it's happening in their neighborhood. It's happening in my neighborhood. I have murders in my neighborhood all the time. I'm sorry? 
but they might want to live in a safe neighborhood and they might want to be a part of this conversation. The criminals aren't going to come to this. No. I understand that. But there are plenty of, of perfectly lovely, hardworking uh, Latin and black people who do not want their communities to be murder zones. There are a lot of good Latinos in this area. They're not here, and I, I understand why they don't come. Okay? Sure, I do too. But my question that I'm posing is, we have to get them here. I would say that we, unless you're Latin or unless you're black, you don't understand why they don't come because you're not them. Let's not try to put ourselves in other people's shoes. You don't wear them. That's a really, like, that's a ridiculous comment that you know why they don't come. And the idea that there's a code of silence in the black community or in the Latin community. I'm black. If y'all know me, I'm everything but silent. But you're the head of the Justice Coalition. Why did the Justice Coalition do anything to get people here? Oh, absolutely. I have a yeah. neighbor, Latino neighbor, who came over to look at Okay, so my point is we just have to get together. So in moving on, I'd like to talk a little bit about the ARPA fund because I feel like Doug, like that is something that we're trying to avoid or something. I don't know if you all know it or if you're paying attention, but $28 million has been given out or is being given out in the city. And uh, there's lots of programs and lots of things which I'm sure if you all heard them, you might not agree with them. Uh, and unless you're really watching all of the meetings, you you don't know what, what's going on with the ARPA funds. So I would just suggest you uh, tune into the meetings and uh, I would like to just, because of something was in the paper today, I just wanna, I just wanna deal with that. And Marie is here, so I, I have a couple questions for you, Marie. Uh, one of them I asked you, well, let me just read this quote from today's paper. Uh, so it's talking about um, uh, senior citizens, and there, there's a program for senior citizens, right? And uh, it's overextended, is that correct? There are too many senior citizens who have applied for the money. Is that correct? Is that correct, Crystal? Yes, it's not my program, but yes. Okay. That's my understanding. Okay. Whose program is it? It's being run through the assessor's office. So is it ARPA money? It is. Okay. So it's ARPA money. So uh, in the in the paper today, there are people. So this is what is quoted: There are people in the middle who are not 62 yet, and they may not have a severe disability, and they may be working two part-time jobs. This is Murray Karuba speaking. Uh, to make ends meet, she said, you can't just say it's always one demographic. I think we need to look at some of the other individuals. Uh, we're not just dealing with seniors having these issues. Uh, Karuba warned that many people in the community are feeling uncomfortable because they do not know how to protect their homes and garages from intruders without making costly improvements to their homes. So are you suggesting that we take money away from senior citizens to put security in people's garages? There are middle class and other individuals, single parents, who need assistance. Right now, some of the crime that we're seeing are people who fall in a category where they cannot afford, they have cars in their garages, they're being broken into, 
I had a gentleman call me. He has a freezer. People were going into his garage and staying there and taking food from him and leaving things. He was concerned about that. He said he has no way. It's an older garage. So the funding should be used for people's garages. This is a safety issue. If the, if the garage is attached to the home and it's a safety issue, that is one of the so, things that so could be. So that takes priority over giving, homeless, giving people who are elderly money for their homes. No, you're misinterpreting. It is not either or. It's saying in addition to there are other people that need assistance too that cannot afford to well, make the repair. It's a snapshot. It's not what this says in the poster. I'd like to ask you one more question, please, because I asked this at the council meeting and I didn't get an answer. Uh, I, you are the head of the housing committee, is that correct? I was appointed to the housing commission or as a housing committee chair by Councilman Dolts to did replace. You not want that job? I did not ask for it. I have another commitment okay, to the resource center. So what is the five-year plan for housing in Jamestown? We are working on it. There are a lot of other things. So that you've been on the council for 20 years? No, I have not. How, long, how many years have you been on I started on in 2013. I have not been on the council for 20 years. Well, I'm just asking her as the
I don't know what to do. I got one homeless person staying in my house, right, trying not to steal me blind, and another homeless person sleeping in my Jeep, because I don't know where else to put her. I see in my neighborhood alone some 50, 60, possibly 70 homeless people, because those are all the people with backpacks. They carry all their belongings every day, and they are going to run into dire straits this winter. We can see it coming. I remember once upon a time, the person that built my house, they had a brickyard, and all the poor people were able to lie on the bricks in the brickyard to stay warm at night. Perhaps the BP with some of this district heat can build something where some of these people can be taken care of, or at least not freeze to death this winter. Because if we don't, I guarantee you there will be people dying this winter. I can set my watch by it. I don't know what else to say. I just want some quick comments. Thank you very much. Okay, so before everybody leaves, um, no talking, but by a show of hands, who has a question that they wanted to ask tonight that didn't get asked or answered? If you guys have a question that you want to ask or need answered, um, I have some cards. I'll give you phone numbers, emails, and anything that you came here that you wanted to ask that you didn't get your voice to be heard on will get answered. Um, other than that, thank you all for coming. I just want to make sure that nobody showed up and had a question that they didn't get an answer to. We'll get that.